You know, Shravya, I really think we are tennis's biggest fans. What do you mean? So not only do we play tennis at, you know, like a relatively high level, we have this podcast, we watch tennis, and now we're tennis coaches. I don't think anyone's ever immersed themselves this deeply into a sport. Hmm, that's for sure, especially now that we've made 100 episodes. Hello everyone and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts Josefina and Shravya. Shravya and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Josefina and I are a high school and college gal duo and two tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. So, we are back with the hundred... Drum roll, please. Yes. Oh, oh, wait. I already said it. My bad. It's okay. It's okay. Drum roll, please. Yes. The hundredth episode of Hold On To Your Racket. See, it's okay if we redo it. So, like, yeah. Okay. Anyways, we are both pretty knocked right now, honestly, because we completed... I think, well, I'm going to count it as our second day together coaching during summer camp. Yes, we are coaches now. We have been, actually. We did mention this before, but now we are doing pretty steady work Monday to Friday. And, wow, morning till nighttime. Just a lot of kids and tennis balls and tennis rackets and safety rules. (laughs) I try to use my breaks to, like, my, like, if I go to the bathroom, I'll peep the TV to see what Wimbledon match is going on so that I can stay updated um, while we are on duty. Um, But definitely a very tennis-full summer for us. And, I mean, 100 episodes. Every 100 of these episodes, pretty much, has been so fun for us to just sit down and chat with each other about things, you know, it started with really just tennis, we tried to move it to tennis and what it means more generally and like the important issues in the world that come up through tennis, tennis and honestly a little bit of our personal lives, not only issues that we care about, but like, but like some, you know, funny tidbits and things like that, really just trying to show that there is a space for everyone in tennis and in this Gen Z landscape, we want to provide something that, yeah, we can talk about like all the interesting results and newest stars and changes in the rankings and who took what title but we can also talk about like hey like look at all this activism in the sport look at all these archaic um pillars of the sport that kind of need some changing what can we learn from this and this and this and also like relating with to hopefully you know fellow gen z or even if they're not you're not a fellow gen z um individual but anyone who's interested in hearing this new fresh perspective in every in each 100 of these episodes and conversations i think both of us despite however tired we may have been from homework or work or however excited we have been that day to come and record oftentimes those overlap because this is often a stress reliever for us to record after long days we tried to bring that new perspective in and are excited for hundreds more of episodes to come. Yes. 100 is a lot. Wow. Triple digits. Still pretty Ooh. crazy. Mm-hmm. And I would like to think that we have certainly improved in our skills since then. I'm sorry, but um, we're like kind of good at podcasting now. <laughs> <laughs> our equipment isn't up to date with that. We tried upgrading our equipment. Like, I tried using a mic for a couple episodes. And when I went to go edit the episode, I was like, this... Like, the audio quality was very much similar to if I just do it on my phone in a quiet room. Yeah. But... I don't There's, know. We could. We could I try still need to mics. try it. I just, you know. We should try it. Because I just have bad luck it, with technology. So, like, I kind of lost the wire that I need to connect it to my computer. 
and I haven't gotten around to getting a new one, so maybe, maybe one day you'll tune in to Hold On To Your Agony, you'll be like, oh my goodness, this audio is so crisp, I love it, but for now, this is what we're dealing with, yeah, yes, um, let's get into some hot headlines, so as you know, Wimbledon has started this week a little bit crazy. Wimbledon always comes around when you least expect it, right after the French Open. Um, super, super short grass season. Um, but when it's here, you definitely know that it's here. Um, sadly, we have a f- couple of absences on the ATP side due to COVID, which we're really sad to hear about. Marin Cilic and Matteo Berrettini both had to pull out of the tournament before their first round matches because they had been diagnosed and or tested positive for COVID-19. Berrettini said, I have no words to describe the extreme disappointment I feel. The dream is over for this year, but I will be back stronger. Especially sad because he had an amazing grass season leading up to this, coming off of wrist surgery or hand surgery, and then taking two back-to-back titles, including the coveted Queen's Club Championship, the ATP 500. I mean, both these players, with Chilich having remarkable success at Wimbledon over the past few years, reaching quite a, a few finals and late stages of the tournament, were, in fact, some of the top contenders for this title after Djokovic and Nadal. But now they're both out. Hubert Hurkacz lost in the first round, so he was also kind of had some some uh, good showing on the grass this season and last year as well. So all that's to say that we hope they recover, um, these two. Yeah, first and foremost. We, yeah. But at the same time, wow, just, like, the unluckiness. And it just keeps reminding you, like, COVID isn't over. Like, people say, like, people talk about it like it is, but it's it's just not. It's still very much an issue right now. I mean, look at Annette Contivate. She still hasn't been able to find her feet after getting COVID, I think, a few weeks or maybe a month ago now because she's been feeling the health effects of it for so long after. And it's really unfortunate to lose amazing players like this for things that can be, you know, prevented if safety measures are followed. But even so, like, it's, there's just some things you can't control. It's just unlucky at this point. Yeah, I mean, even and regardless of how careful you may be, it just happens. Um, but not to say that, obviously, as you said, to still be cognizant of it. Um, but, yes, hoping that they have a good recovery definitely impacts the field at the tournament as well because, as we said, these were two really top contenders, I would say, going in. Um, but we'll see how that shapes up, and hopefully they'll be back in great form for the hard courts. Now, we also learned today that the Labor Cup, which is taking place at the O2 Arena in London in late September, the 23rd to the 25th, will have on Team Europe as their three headlining players, Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, and Andy freaking Murray. Yeah, they're all three of them are going to be there on Teen Europe. The real big three. Yeah, exactly. And um, this is Andy Murray's first year with Team Europe. We've obviously seen the pictures of Nadal and Federer um, playing the Labor Cup before, so that goes without saying that they have, in fact, been a part of this event before. But their opposing team for now, Team World, Players include Felix Auger-Eliassime, uh, Diego Schwartzman, and Taylor Fritz. Maybe it's the year that Team World takes it. I just don't know anymore. Either way, it just makes it so worth it to watch because of the players playing this year. Because, oh my goodness, I cannot wait for the content. Um, Our last little hot headline here is that Iga Swiatek is actually organizing a really cool event for Ukraine that she has been planning for the past few months, she said. It's called Iga Swiatek and Friends for Ukraine on July 23rd. She said on social media, quote, For months I've been working with my team on a charity initiative for Ukraine to to support those who suffer because of the war. Yeah, and she's going to work with Aga Radwanska, uh, Elena Svitolina, Sergei uh, Stakovsky, who is actually... We've mentioned him before, definitely, in relation to the uh, Ukrainian war right now. And he's actually a retired Ukrainian tennis player who joined the Ukrainian army following the invasion. 
and Martin Pawlewski, who is a 17-year-old Polish tennis player. So it's going to be a mixed doubles exhibition where it will be... It, am I saying it right, Aga? I am, right? Yeah. Aga versus Iga in a set of singles. And Svitolina will ch- chair umpire both matches, which is really exciting. I bet she's going to do a great job. And I don't know, honestly, I don't know if she's too pregnant to play tennis yet. I really don't. I do know that oh. she's sitting out for now from the professional yeah. tour for different reasons. But I honestly don't know. But I guess we'll see with this. Um, but all proceeds are going to go to children and teenagers affected by the violence in Ukraine that is currently happening. And they are working with UNICEF Poland, Svitolina's Foundation, and United24, which is a project started by the Ukrainian president to assist with relief efforts. So just amazing for Iga um, to... um, kind of come up with this idea and really try to put her best foot forward when it comes to being such a leader in not only women's tennis but tennis in general right now she's the best player in the world right now and she still made time to focus on like things that matter in the world other than tennis right now and that just that shows what you can do and what you should be doing if you have a platform like hers. Like, she's the ultimate example of what a sports celebrity should be. Mm-hmm. And just to round things out, talking about, you know, we mentioned at the very beginning of this episode how we have tried to use this podcast as not only an area for us to talk about tennis, but also things that arise um, in not only the tennis world, but, like, the world more generally that we feel are important to share because of the perspective that we have. Um, for those of you who prop, I mean, most of you probably know, in the United States just about a week ago, um, the Supreme Court case Roe versus Wade was overturned, which basically means that um, women or people um, who are able to get pregnant in the United States are no longer... Um, they no longer have the right to an abortion. And um, we don't want to get too in the weeds about this, but I would just say that Josephine and I are two staunch advocates of the right to choose. Um, we saw within the tennis world Coco Goff speak out strongly against the Supreme Court decision um, against this case. Um, it's a little bit complicated. If you want to read into the case itself, don't really get, um, rely on us to relay to you the most concise and um, easy to understand information about it. We would suggest you do your own reading. But it's something especially scary for people like the two of us to hear because we're taking a step 50 years backwards where just as we are approaching young uh, adult, young adulthood slash adulthood um, and where the right to choose becomes incredibly more important and to see that stripped away um is scary yeah definitely and i think something that really kind of brought it to perspective was also billy jean king she posted something about it which what we've seen like during this whole wave of protests once um people found out that it was a possibility that roe v wade would be overturned like it's that like we're seeing that older generation that protested for it in the first place kind of come back and speak out for it again so like it's connecting women from all sorts of generations like it just shows how major the issue is so like this time it's like even though gen z would be most affected by it like we're not the only ones fighting for it and i think i honestly don't know what my point is i'm just upset (laughs) Yeah, it's it's definitely something difficult for us to hear, but I'm sure for a lot of people. Um, and <clears throat> I don't know. I just think it's important to be supportive of the women around you, anyone else around you who may be affected by it, um, because it's something that I think has definitely added an added stressor 
um, that I, you, you know, sometimes politics is like, wow, that's scary, but you don't really feel the immediate impact. But this was something, at least for me personally, where I felt an immediate impact. Ever since the draft opinion was leaked um, a couple months ago, since then it's sort of been like on my mind. But then I feel like once this came out, it was like, wow. Yeah. All right, now let's do our tennis talk. Um, we're going to talk Wimbledon. I don't know if you knew that that was what we were going to talk about today, but guess what? It is. So we're going to just take you through super fast ATP and WTA side, the top seeds that we've still got in, um, any upsets we've had, and kind of anything in the near future, any matches we're looking to- forward um, to, and also just any other little things we kind of feel like mentioning. Yeah. So we're going to start with the ATP this time. And so first we're going to talk about, you know, top seeds, like who's through, who hasn't made it. In other words, upsets. And there have been a lot on this side of the tour. But um, so first of all, we have Novak Djokovic here. We've seen him practically breeze through his first and second round matches. He didn't play any warm-up tournaments, which... um was kind of like what's what's gonna what's it gonna be but I mean so far he's shown a promising grass performance from what we've seen in Wimbledon and just something funny to mention I saw this and I sent it to Shrabia I saw this funny video of him with uh his kids <laughs> and they were trying to get Venus's autograph and I just thought it was funny how, you know, legends have to respect the legends and how, like, his girls were, like, they still have a female tennis role model. And I thought that was super awesome. That is awesome. And Venus is actually here playing mixed doubles with Jamie Murray. They got a wild card um, into the mixed doubles main draw. So that's super exciting. Um, but as far as our next top seed, we have Rafael Nadal, the second seed. He got through, um, Ser- which Serendolo? Francisco Serendol in four sets during the first round. Also, no warm-up tournaments for him. Hopefully, he's resting the foot. That's really always the big question mark with Nadal's health. Um, In terms of, like, big contenders for the title, it's really these two. None of the next-gen have really shown through with the good comfort level with grass. We saw Daniil Medvedev kind of, you know, doing pretty well this grass season, reaching a couple of finals. But obviously, <coughs> he's not allowed to play. Um, but in terms of who we're picking between these two guys of having the edge, Rafa's definitely got the momentum. But Novak has historically done so, so well at Wimbledon and on grass compared to Nadal. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he can defend his title here. Um, because it's weird. I feel like we just haven't had Novak in the conversation as much. I forgot that he's defending champion because obviously the whole vaccine situation, he's just not eligible to play a lot of these tournaments and we haven't seen him that much. And I think that that's disrupted his flow a bit. You know, he hasn't been as dominant, of course. Um, so I don't know. It's it's just a very, I think it's defined this season very differently than what we were seeing last year when it was all sort of revolving around him, which is part of the reason why that Daniel Medvedev U.S. Open win was so big. Yeah, I think I was definitely thinking about that when we were actually doing kind of research for this episode, like the way we've seen things shift, not only on the ATP side, but on the WTA, how literally like a year ago people were saying, uh, there's no definite champion on the WTA side. You literally never know who's going to win. And now we have, like, one consistent winner. And then on the ATP side, it was like, oh, it's all so predictable. Like, you always know who's going to win. And now, like, the draw has kind of opened up since we've seen Novak be kind of pushed aside by his own decisions, I guess. But obviously we have Rafa as, like, Grand Slam champion here. But, I mean, when it comes to Wimbledon, it's just a different situation. Yeah. It's also, like, last year we were talking about the Golden Slam for Novak, um, which was he was so close to getting. But then 
at least the Grand Slam, like the um, in all the Calendar Slam. Um, but now we're talking about uh, Nadal's second um, career Grand Slam. So having two of each of the Slam titles, and that could happen here. Um, oh wait, sorry, no, that's not what I meant. I meant the Calendar Slam. That's what I meant. Winning all four um, in in the same year. Yeah. Disregard what I said earlier. <laughs> um, so our other top seed here who got through is Stefano Tsitsipas, the uh, fourth seed. And I'm, I'm saying, like, actually look out for this guy because I feel like this could definitely be his, like, big Grand Slam break. His best result at Wimbledon was the round of 16 in 2018, and he hasn't made it past the first round since then. But, I mean, he just won in Mallorca last week, so that's really good momentum on grass going into Wimbledon, especially considering, like, that other than Djokovic or Nadal, now that Berrettini and her catcher out, you can't really pick one player who can really contend them when it comes to the title, you know? So... I'd say definitely look out for him, even just making it into deeper rounds. But um, we also have two Gen Zers that are, you know, they've been at the top of their game. Sinner, the 10th seed, and Alcaraz, the 5th seed, getting through here. So also keep an eye out for them if you'd like. Yes. As for upsets, we had way too many upsets. Casper Rude, the 3rd seed, the French Open finalist, was taken out in round 2 by Ugo Umbert. Um, in four sets, Ugo actually had a five to fifteen win loss record this season, but he definitely put his grass expertise—well, maybe not expertise, but knowledge—to use um, because he did win Halle last year. If you uh, didn't remember, and honestly, too bad for Rude. We're still waiting for that grass breakthrough for him. But I'm personally really happy to see Umbert doing well. He's had a rough season. We saw him having to deal with a lot of negative social media hate sometime last year or two years ago so i'm happy to see him having success again i think it's really awesome yeah and then we have felix the sixth seed um this is just an interesting match is kind of a throwback it's like is maxime cressy back and like here to stay or is felix just flopping again dude what is with felix's like like yeah, tendency and, to fall into this flop era hole. You know what? I think he caught the virus from Shapo. <gasps> <laughs> oh, <laughs> my bad. Anyways, uh, so this is actually Maxime's. Uh, oh, and in case you didn't know, um, Maxime Cressy is the one who beat Felix. Maxime's uh, Wimbledon debut. And this is his first top 10 win. 6 7 okay. 6 4, 7 6 7 6. Not bad at all. And I mean, maybe grass suits his serve and volley game. I don't know how exactly because I'm not like the surface expert. Definitely I've never does. played on grass. Actually, it I play on does. fake grass. It does. Serve and, volley, serve and volley is like awesome for grass because it's so fast, it's such a quick surface. That's why players like. Berrettini did so well at Wimbledon last year because his serve is so huge. That's why players like Chilich and Isner and Hercots do well because their serve set up their points awesomely for them. And serve and volley was like how Pete Sampras, Andy Roddick really... No, not Andy Roddick. I don't know. Pete Sampras and like the older players did <laughs> really well on glass, You know who we're grass. talking about. So um, that's definitely not surprised to see Maxime liking the surface yeah and then also he's just had a strong grass season in general so far because he made the eastbourne final last week which i honestly did not even catch that me neither what the frick yeah um but then we have like we've been saying throughout this episode already we kind of spoiled it but hubert her catch the seventh seed very disappointing considering he's a defending semifinalist and he was in such good shape with the Halle title last week. But he lost to none other than ADF in five, seven, six, six, four, five, seven, two, six, seven, six. So very close scoreline. But in Fokina fashion, he lost to um Giri Vaselli in the second round after making the upset. So 
Yeah, he really knows how to mess up a tournament. <laughs> and that was also a five-set match, and then also a match tiebreak in the fifth set. And he actually had a match point in the fifth set, but then received a point penalty. Oh my god, this kid. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> we're laughing because they're one of our co-workers <laughs> at the summer camp that we work at, Josephine and I joke with each other that their hairdo is exactly like Davidovich yeah, Makita's. It's, it's frighteningly similar. It's so, it's so it's funny. It's literally the same. It's and literally the same. They give us the same vibes. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As far as shark horses, we of course have Tim. Tim Van Ritoven upset Riley Opelka, 6-4, in the second round. He's also a wild card here, so making the most of that. We saw him take the title at the Labema Open a couple weeks ago, defeating Medvedev in the final and other players along the way. And now he's going to play Basila Schweil, pun intended there, because he's vile, um, on Friday. So we're really obviously rooting for Timmy there. Yes. And then in the next round, you know, I just wanted to mention this match because it's definitely going to be a nice match to watch. Just going to say. Um, just to look at. Yeah, Alex Demonor versus Jack Draper. Um, both are actually esports semifinalists from last week, so, you know, like, good grass season stuff. So I think it should be interesting, but they've never met. I mean, they never met in that semifinal. They were, like, the opposite semifinalists. So I think it would be interesting to see them meet. Um, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. We also have Taylor Fritz here, not really a dark horse. He's actually the 10th seed, so really making his way up the um, ranking spots and seeding spots here, which is great. Defeated Musetti handedly in three sets, just coming up with the Eastbourne title, which I also briefly forgot about. But he's been having an awesome season this year, super proud of him. Um, I've been loving Morgan Riddle's Instagram stories from Wimbledon and just in general lately. Um, she posts an awesome mix of like aesthetically pleasing, practical, funny, and like real like real stuff that you should be knowing about. Um, and we've also have Andy Murray in the mix here. He did lose to Jisner in the second round, but he will always and forever be our knight in shining armor. Yes. And then what's to come on the ATP side? This is basic, and everyone else is probably thinking about it, but a Djokovic-Rafa final, how epic would that be? It seems feasible at the levels that they're playing, but um, I mean, I have faith in Rafa, but I just have absolutely no idea what's going on with the foot. He said he wouldn't be taking anesthetics to play anymore, and he's undergoing some sort of treatment. But um, I just, I really don't know where that's at, really. And uh, Novak is kind of a wild card here, not because he's a bad player, but because he's not really been playing those small tournaments that give insight to his level right now. Like, two matches doesn't say much, honestly, in the early rounds of a slam. It's really when you get deeper. And just based on that, like, Rafa is just the one that has the Grand Slam experience this year. And like mentioned before, I just say, like, look out for Tsitsipas. He's looking strong. And, you know, of course, look out for Emil Rusevori, too. He's still in the draw. Okay, moving on to the WTA side. Um, as far as our top seeds, we obviously have Iga Swiatek. This was her first match on grass this season in the first round. She got through. Um... And, you know, we're definitely looking to see how she does. As Josefina was saying about Djokovic, how we haven't really been able to get a sense of his grass court performance, even with Nadal, um, as of late, because he didn't, they didn't play any of those warm-up tournaments. Ego, we also don't know, right? Um, she, last year at Wimbledon, I believe, I'm just fact-checking, um, let's see, she reached the round of 16. So, I mean, second week, lost to Anjabur. I think we mentioned this in our previous episode. Um, but I would say, obviously, grass is the surface she hasn't had as much experience on. So she's obviously still carrying on this win streak, this crazy win streak. I don't even know what number she's 36. at right now. 
36 so I mean the quick change of surface is definitely something to consider here but we'll see how she does with that um, because I think she's but without a doubt the top contender for this slam but speaking of players dealing with quick surface changes and someone who had a lot of success on the clay just like Iga we have Coco Goff and there are certainly a lot of eyes on her but we've known her although she is quite young um, we've known that she is phenomenal at dealing with pressure and she has been for her whole career and it's just amazing to see like somebody young like that on tour dealing so well with all the eyes on her but she fought through a rocky three-setter in the first round and Coco has always done well at this event she consistently made the round of 16 you know she did it both in 2019 and 2021 and in 2019 that was like her big breakthrough that's really when everyone learned the name Coco Goff so, be Venus, right? Yeah, exactly. So definitely a big tournament that like holds significance to her as well, probably. But um, then we have Ange Jabour, who's been just on fire all season, pretty much, and as of recent, and she's just blitzing her way through to round three. So she's doing well, and that's very good to hear because I mean, Iga Swiatek needs some competition at least. Yeah, I would say like. I remember going into the French Open, she also had an incredible lead-up in this uh, turn-up tournaments um, to Roland Garros. She did really well at Madrid, um, or Stuttgart, I think it was Madrid. Um, here, same thing, she took the Bet One Open title. Um, but going into the French Open, after Iga, she was right up there as favorites to win the tournament, and then lost in the first round, and everyone was like, What? But now I think she was probably quite nervous for this first round match, knowing that this is a very similar situation that she had going into the French Open, where had has had a really a good amount of success right before she took that title on grass. Um, knows that expectation is now on her um, to you know succeed and as a top contender for this Slam, and then be met with a first round match that she wasn't able to conquer back at the French Open. So I think that it's, you know, she's through to the third round now. I thought that it's, like, great to see her doing so well um, and dealing with that pressure because, after all, I mean, Ons is rise. These past few weeks has been pretty, not weeks, months, has been really awesome to watch. Yeah. Um, so we had some other favorites here, too, that include... Um, Paula, uh, Jessica Pagula, Angie, and, as in Kerber, and Maria Sakari. So it's nice to see all of them, you know, kind of at the top again fighting for the win. Um, and then who's out, as in our upsets. And this includes our very own Serena Williams, who unfortunately lost in the first round. She lost in a brutal three-set battle versus 24-year-old Harmony Tan. Is she is she British? French. French, okay. 7-5, uh, 1-6, And the last tiebreak was 10-7. The last final deciding tiebreak. Wow. And the match went three hours and ten minutes long. And uh, Serena Williams was actually serving for the match at some point and up 4-0 in the match tiebreak. So not sure what happened there, but, you know, she's just coming back. And she definitely deserves some wiggle room as to her performance. And she, either way, she's Serena Williams, so can't really drag her on that fact. Today, I overheard two coaches telling me how another coach said that he could beat Serena if he played her. And then the two coaches were like, I don't know why he said that. But then those two coaches were like, I mean, maybe now because she's not in her prime, he could. I was like, what the heck are you talking about? I literally don't know what to say to that. It's just, were they male? Can I ask? No, they were female. And they also were like, ever since she had a kid, you know, and I was just like, oh yeah. Excuse me? I had some coach telling me about how, um, 
it's different for Serena Williams coming back to Grand Slams rather than Roger Federer coming back like last year because, you know, after you've had a baby, even after you've had it, your body continues to change in unprecedented ways. And I was like... Yes, because a man would know. Yeah, I was like, you are not a man telling me this, explaining this to me. I was like, please leave. Or actually, I'll leave. I would say that, like, in the many conversations about tennis that I've had with people, regardless of how big fans they are of the sport, the most, the person I obviously hear the people talk the most about, or one of the most about, is Serena, and she's also the subject of the most, like, either, like, underlyingly sexist comments, or, like, overtly sexist comments, and obviously, obviously also racist comments that I've heard in the conversation of tennis. Like, people just love using her as a punching bag for sexism and racism. It's just truly awful. Like, the amount of times I've heard iterations of the things, like, oh, yeah, like, I could beat her now. Or, like, oh, yeah, she's such a B-I-T-C-H. Or, like, oh, yeah, like, she's just, like, after the baby, like, she's just not good anymore. Or she's she's really manly. Yeah, she's really manly. Or she's too big. She's too slow. I'm just, like... Hello. You have no place to speak. (laughs) I just don't understand. Like, do you have 23 Grand Slam titles? I didn't think so, because no one else except her has that many in the open era. Yeah, so you take your... Oh, God. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Let's continue. Yes. Um, Serena said, today I gave all I could, you know, today. At some point, you have to be okay with that. I was just so happy to be out there playing in front of the crowd. I was just grateful for the claps and the cheers for everything. What was actually interesting was that Harmony Tan, I mean, just to comment on that, awesome attitude for Serena. I really hope we see her coming back. She did put up a good fight. Obviously, yes, she's not at her prime, but she can still like put up, put up a good showing on the court and really give it her all. Um, so I'd like to keep seeing her competing. Um, as far as Harmony Tan, she actually said that she stayed off social media totally once the draw came out and she knew that she was playing Serena because she didn't want to deal with all the messages and things that were coming through. And she said, at the beginning of the match, I didn't really believe in it. I was playing a legend and on center court at Wimbledon. But as the match went on, I believed in it more and more. I started to say to myself, maybe you can do it. But I didn't really believe it. But I won and it's the biggest win of my career. It's just incredible. And then she said, even at the end, when we shook hands, I thought she was someone who impressed me. But on the court, I didn't pay attention to her. I played a ball, not an opponent. She's an icon of women's tennis. I think that whole thing about, like, you're playing the ball and not the opponent is often such a good way to ease nerves and to sort of get yourself focused. So, and obviously that paid off here for Harmony Tan. Yeah. And the fact that she said that it's the biggest win of her career... Even though Serena Williams is not seated at this tournament, she is above 1,000 in rankings. She's still Serena Williams. That's our point. So don't, like, try to undermine that. But um, there was a bit of controversy regarding uh, Harmony Tan's doubles partner, Tamara Korpach, because, um, so this is coming after um, Tan pulled out of doubles in the morning the morning of their match, their doubles match, and this was a day after her three-hour match versus Serena. So she texted her and said that she would have to pull out of the match. And then Tamara posted on Instagram, like a full post with the caption, I'm very sad, disappointed, and also very angry that I can't play my first doubles Grand Slam. And it's really not fair for me. I didn't deserve that. She asked me before the tournament if we want to play doubles, and I said yes. I didn't ask her. She asked me, if you're broken after a three-hour match the day before, you can't play professional. That's my opinion. Oh. Damn. (laughs) I feel like I see both sides. I don't think... I personally see both sides, but this is a weird way to handle it. I just don't think that they're going to be doubles partners again. Really? You think? Mm -mm. Something tells me no. 
Tamara also posted on her Instagram okay, story, is... quote, sorry, but I played six hours and 33 minutes in one day and played a singles match the next day. So this was honestly, this is the tea I live for. It's tennis. just like, this is so why? Funny to me. <laughs> it's so unnecessary. Okay, I, this is mean and like, obviously like really harsh and definitely heat of the moment. But I would be pissed if my doubles partner pulled out preventing me from pr- playing in my first doubles Grand Slam. Like, that's a pretty big deal. Okay, and true. And to back out like that. But, th- it's also but this is assuming... This injury is. Yeah, this is assuming that the injury is not legitimate. Because if it is, yeah. this is a butthole move. Yeah. Like, it really is. Yeah. But I guess we'll see if... um, What's her name? Tan plays her next singles match and if she looks fine on court then we know which side to take also because players like definitely play both events often yeah and like have grueling matches and then get through maybe maybe she needed like a mental health break after playing serena or something i don't know don't know no clue um, next up, we have Emma Raducanu, who lost in the second round. She actually opened center court on day one, which I personally did not agree with that decision to allow her to open up that court because, um, did we talk about this last episode? No, we did not. Let's talk about it now. So, as is Wimbledon tradition, the defending champion gets to be the first person to, um, kind of open center court and play there first on the schedule. So, Obviously, on the men's side, that would be Djokovic, but on the women's side, Ash Barty isn't here anymore, so she can't really do that. Um, Ash was given the opportunity to open center court last year because there was no 2020 defending champion since there was no 2020 iteration of Wimbledon. So that left, um, and she was given that opportunity because she was ranked world number one. That left in consideration for who was to open center court this year, to Iga Swiatek, the current world number one, or Simona Halep, the 2019 champion who never got the opportunity to open center court as she would have been able to do in 2020. So in my opinion, I think it would have been most fair to give that chance to Simona um, because she was she never got to and it would make more sense to. Wimbledon gave it to Emma Raducanu. And I understand she's their biggest star. I don't like, understand. Not even just athlete, I, don't I understand that understand. she's their biggest star in athletics and in general. Andy right now. Murray. But this seems unfair to me. I I just don't think this is fair because it's just not fair. I just it's, like, don't even Simona's know like chance? where. Like she won Wim- I mean she won U.S. Open. Like it's 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 none of your business. <laughs> Like I just feel like I I, I it, it just felt seemed really like a very wrong. yeah it just felt very oh my god some of the, the it's kind of like going on I'm Twitter sorry. and seeing British journalists tweeting about Emma because the praise and the like it just does, like it's one thing to praise her because yes what she did at the U.S. Open was amazing but like it's just like they don't stop I know. And they, they, they can't, like, she can't do, like, it, like, she's, it, they don't stop talking about, like, or, okay, it's just, they, they don't stop with their rhetoric about her. Yeah. Of, in, in a very weirdly nationalistic, like, oh my god, she's our gem type of thing. I'm like, oh my goodness, you guys are, like, next level glorifying her, which I find odd. It's not her fault, but I find it odd. Yeah, to me, to me, it feels like she's kind of, she's just like the trend right now, and Wimbledon is hopping on the bandwagon. It's just odd. Anyway, she lost to Saturday's Bod Humberg champion, Caroline Garcia, 6363. Garcia is someone to really keep an eye on there. The British crowd was obviously really excited to welcome and support Emma in both of her matches. And as you remember, she had a wild card here last year and reached the round of 16. That's when she really broke onto the scene. And she was asked in her press conference once again about pressure. That I think she gets asked this all the time. And here was her response. Honestly, no. I, if, no. I mean, she makes some points here. 
she makes too many points. <laughs> she makes some points. She goes, I am 19 years old. Yes, I have had attention, but I'm a slam champion, so no one's going to take that away from me. Yeah, if anything, the press, the pressure is on those who haven't done that. That was such a dig, but in a good way, almost. Like, I don't know. She clearly, I don't, I really don't think it's the pressure that's affecting her. Like, I don't think it's the pressure. I think it's more just, like, the U.S. Open happened so fast, and, like, she was playing amazingly then, but it's so way too early in her career for her to be able to replicate that consistent play. Like, we're seeing people like Shviatek and, in the past, players like Serena and stuff doing. Josefina has thoughts. I'm not going to say my thoughts. You would literally get canceled if you said your thoughts as honestly as you say them to me. But you can, like... I'm just making a face right now. I just... I, I don't like this girl. You know what? It's, like, as as a teenage girl, I'm not going to lie. She, like, heightens my catty senses. Like, some girls mm. do that to me, you know? Mm. I'm sure you get this, too. I do. I do. And I... It's weird. I... Su- I... Women support women. We are, I, like, a very supportive of our success. To me, I've always said this. To me, it's less, it's really not to do with her. For me, it's the media frenzy. No, like, we protected like, her oh when people God. were sexualizing her. We did. Yes. We protected her. Like, I, I know when no to issue. step up. I yeah. know when to step up, but... <clears throat> it's the frenzy that I hate. That's what I was talking about before with the British media. That's what I hate. Yeah. That's what I hate, like putting her there on like, center just court, stop. like making a huge like calm. Because the then frick she says down. things like this, and she thinks it's okay. <laughs> like she I says, mean, like, this is like a fair response to like all the people being like, "Oh my gosh, the pressure's getting to you." Blah blah. No, blah. but the she next, goes, the next line that oh, we're the about next to read. Line, yeah, she goes, "There's no pressure. Like, why is there any pressure? I'm still 19. Like, it's a joke. I literally want to slam." I'm she sorry, you didn't have to say that. I'll give her that. She, like, is confident. And it's just so much more admirable when, like, when people are humble. You know what I mean? But don't you think that, like, this is why, I think if she was a guy and she said something like this, subconsciously, I would, I, like, I feel like people would let this slide more. People, yeah, but not me. I'm saying, I'm talking about me personally right now. Mm-hmm, me okay. personally, I would be so bothered if anyone said this. Like, it literally yeah. does not matter. Like, do, can you imagine, like, if we're gonna compare it to a man, like, can you imagine if, like, honestly, I see Medvedev seeing this, but that's only because he's known to be a butthole. <laughs> like, I do see him <laughs> saying that. But, okay, like, for example... What if, like, Rafael Nadal was just, like, there's no pressure. Like, why is there any pressure? I'm, 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 like, only 33 or however old he is. <laughs> like, it's a joke. I literally won 22 slams. <laughs> I just think it's, like, but part of it I feel like is that she's fed up with people being, like, oh, my God, the pressure's getting to you, the pressure's getting to you. When it's it's more like, just why like are you gaslighting me into thinking that I'm not chill right now? That's why I'm saying that I think the whole issue that I have about her, it has to do with the frenzy about her, not about her game, about her talent, about her winning. Like, I don't yeah, I totally care agree. about that. It's like, the that's image awesome. and, like, this it's media presence. The, it's like it's the, it's the frenzy that I hate. I just, like, and I think it's, it's especially just... propagated by British media, which makes sense, obviously, because she's British, but it's so annoying. But I don't like that I feel like she enjoys it. Like, she, I feel like she really enjoys it. Okay. that This is now getting... This like, is just me having a cat fight. Yeah, it, it is. And I think we can respect her tennis yes. regardless of that. But... Time just, to move this on. This whole thing about <laughs> opening center court really bothered me because I thought it was a big slap in the face to what the tradition stands for. Yeah, for real. That bothered me, too. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, let's move on. So, Annette Contevay and Gabriela <coughs> Muguruza, they both got bageled in round two and round one, respectively. A lot of pain regarding this. 
um, very sad about Annette Consovich. Just hasn't been able to find her feet since she got COVID. And I'm really glad she spoke out about that, though, because, like, then we wouldn't have known what's going on with her. We would have thought she's just flopping. And then Gabriela Muguruza, don't know what's going on with Dua Lipa, so... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's funny. All right, let's let's do this. End dark horses. We have Bianca versus Elena Rybakina coming up, which should be awesome. Um, Bianca just made the Bad Hamburg final, by the way. Sarah Sarivas Tormer versus Harmony Tan, and keep an eye out for Caroline Garcia. I mean, this is she has been playing solid level, former world number four. So obviously, don't count her out. She's showed like good <laughs> glimpses of talent, uh, not talent, of like great play recently. She's obviously talented. So we're excited to see that. And it really is the bottom half of the women's draw that has quite a bit of um, action here. We have On Stabor. And actually, she said something really nice in her press conference a couple days ago. She said, if you're mentally strong, you can do anything. That's honestly the message I'm trying to send every time. I'm someone from Tunisia. Nobody even believed that I could be here. And here I am talking to you. So I just wanted to highlight that quote because I thought it was awesome. I'm actually obsessed with Ans Jabor. Ans, one question. How do you become mentally strong? (laughs) (laughs) Asking for a friend. Yeah, asking for a friend. Totally not me. Totally not me. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, other contenders in the bottom half of this draw include Garcia, Sakari, Kerber, and Yelena Ostapenko, who's won back-to-back matches for the first time in a little bit. Um, actually, that might not be true. Um, but, you know, whenever she does win back-to-back matches, it's a bit of a cause for celebration. Um, and then, you know, so any of those could really come through with a good showing, hoping it's ons. But the top half is stacked, really putting Iga to the test here with JPEG, Plishy, Paula, Coco, Cornet, Petra, who just won a title, Barbie K, and Anisimova. So lots going on for all of these players. But let's see if Iga Swiatek can keep this win streak going and surprise us all, or maybe not so much surprise us, and take Wimbledon. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all coverage of Wimbledon and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore Tennis Pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released as the championships continue. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time.